for a light crew today. We're so lively. I love it. Feels good. I know we're a little bit hopeful with like some sun again returning. Feels like spring might be here despite that snow. What the heck was that? Just shake my head. Yep. Like Mike. Over it. <laughs> Over it. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, um, this is the fourth Sunday of Lent. Um, and we continue following Jesus on Creator's Good Road, getting closer and closer to the cross and the place in which we really face death. We experience the forces of death every day. It permeates the news cycles, often feeling a bit removed, but many times pretty close to home and sometimes in our homes. The force of death is the loss that we experience with unfulfilled dreams or the realization that all that we've built has been destroyed. It is the loss of relationships through physical death or abandonment of kin, sometimes individuals, sometimes whole communities, sometimes family, sometimes friends, partners, and colleagues. It is what pain and sorrow spiral us toward. And as we will consider in our text today, it is what we feel during conflict with opponents or what eats at the core of our being when we are wronged. The force of death is inevitable because we are human beings in relationships, and that makes us vulnerable to it. Death is a force we cannot ignore as it touches us individually and collectively, and in its various forms, it is an unavoidable trouble that comes with the potential for stumbling. The question for us today is, what is Jesus teaching us on Creator's Good Road about conflict, pain, and sorrow, and about being wronged as he leads us to liberation, to a life in the face of inevitable death? Our text for today comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, and this passage marks the ending of a larger section that focuses on the question of who will participate in the kingdom. We're just going to dive right in today. Right into this text where Jesus is addressing those who have chosen to walk the road with him and to learn from him. I'm going to read from the First Nations version as we've been doing throughout this series. You're welcome to just listen if you don't have one in hand. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 6 of the book of Luke. Creator sets free, who is Jesus, said to the ones who walked the road with him, This world of sorrow and pain will make many stumble, but how terrible it will be for the ones who go along with it. It would be better to be thrown into the deep waters with a great stone tied to your neck than to cause even one of these little ones who trust in me to stumble on the path. When you are wronged, look first 
at what is in your own heart. If one of your brothers or sisters in the sacred family has wronged you, then tell them face to face. If they turn around and ask for forgiveness, then release them, even if they do this seven times in one day. Wisdom keeper, his, messenger, his message bearer said, help our weak faith. If you had faith as small as a mustard seed, he replied, you could also say to this mulberry tree, come out by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would do what you say. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me before we dive in here? Merciful God, you continue to be present with us, never leaving our side. Today, as we wrestle with this text, with these words of Jesus who warn that trouble will come, might we experience you in a new way, be open to the ways in which you call us to engage in the midst of conflict. When we are wronged, when we face the forces of death, might Jesus continue to show us the good road. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Before I say much more about this text, or anything about this text, I want to point out that it is one that has been twisted. To expect those who are oppressed or abused and traumatized to remain in harmful situations, as if offering forgiveness repeatedly is a burden that a victim must carry, as if doing so is somehow righteous or just. This is not what this passage teaches. It is not an invitation to dismiss or deny wrongdoing or to justify remaining in violent situations. That is my side note. One of my favorite theologians, I know I have mentioned him multiple times over the years here, is Miroslav Volf. And he teaches that we are to remember rightly in a violent world. Remembering rightly consists of naming the wrongdoing. And Jesus tells us here that that means telling them face to face. That does not include going along with the violence, which he then equates to stumbling on the path. Valerie Kaur, in her book, See No Stranger, shares several helpful parallel thoughts for today's text, and I am actually going to quote her several times. So brace yourself and pick up the book because it's fantastic. She says, There are no such thing as monsters in this world. There are only human beings who are wounded. When we cannot see that evil is driven by a person's wounds, not their innate nature, we become terrified of each other. But the moment we see their wounds, they no longer have absolute power over us. Sometimes no longer allowing someone to have absolute power 
over us means that we are no longer in relationship with them. It also means we no longer need to be terrified by them. Otherwise, as Jesus ends up teaching us here, you will segregate yourself from the sinner and face the same fate, a fate as bad as drowning, a kind of stumbling by allowing indifference to injustice and inhospitality to take root in your own heart, in your own lives. In verse 3, Jesus says, When you are wronged, look first at what is in your heart. In many translations, it says, be on your guard. And I think this feels a little bit more defensive, more typical of a colonizer mentality, of which not even scripture is exempt. However, as reflected in this version, the First Nations version, it's really more like, watch yourselves. The word here in the Greek is prosecho, not to be confused with prosecco, my wine-loving friends. Prosecho means to turn the mind or be attentive to yourself. We look first at our own hearts because trauma alienates us from our own bodies. Being attentive to ourselves, what is in our hearts will keep us from stumbling as we release the wrongdoer even seven times in one day. This release or forgiveness is not extraordinary. It is simply a part of the daily life of those whose lives are oriented around the merciful God. It is a part of the daily life of those who walk Creator's good road, participating in the kingdom. Kaur says this, I do not owe my opponents any affection, warmth, or regard, but I do owe myself a chance to live in this world without the burden of hate. This is release. It's about listening, which is one of our practices here at Trinity. We listen to ourselves, to the Spirit, and to one another. Kaur reflects on Toni Morrison's words that say this, Hate does that. It burns off everything but itself, so whatever your grievance is, your face looks just like your enemies. To that, Kaur comments, I refuse to let anyone belittle my soul or diminish my own expansive sense of self. The more I listen, the less I hate. The less I hate, the more I am free to choose actions that are controlled not by animosity, but by wisdom. Laboring to love my opponent is how I love myself. This is not the stuff of saintliness. This is our birthright. Yes, trouble will come. The good news for us is that Jesus shows us, creators, a good road, the way of being attentive to ourselves, to resist a mindset that works against justice. 
attentive to ourselves in such a way that we might extend compassion while resisting dispositions that obstruct the restoration of community. Sin or wrongdoing severs kinship and is therefore an obstacle to full membership or belonging. And while repentance is necessary, we don't stand at a distance but actively seek restoration. And I recognize that that happens through different modes, depending on the situation. And I am well acquainted with this, as I have had at least four significant experiences of being harmed by close friends and colleagues in the sacred family. People who have up and left doing harm, not only to me, but to those around me and some of you in this room. There has been nothing saintly in forgiving these individuals. It is my birthright. And I have felt it in the most visceral way that has come through no logical choice to forgive, but through remembering rightly, naming the harm and allowing myself to no longer be controlled by the power that the circumstances or individuals held over me. Release. Sometimes the release has been gradual. Sometimes it came through conversing with confidants, friends, my spiritual director or therapist, or leaning into the spirit when going directly face-to-face with the individual was not possible. And other times, forgiveness has literally been an unexplainable feeling that has washed over me in what I can only call an embodied experience and a truly healing gift from Creator sets free. This text reminds us of Jesus' invitation to have faith. To have faith as we experience trouble and the forces of death. The disciples here are asking Jesus to make them faithful people, or as the First Nations version says, to help our weak faith. This kind of faith moves things, as we read in verse 6. But I want to say that this is not some call to pious prayer. We all know what it's like to pray for something big and never receive it as if we can manipulate God. Sometimes what we want just doesn't align with the nature of the universe and God's activity in the world. These verses are also not meant to be a criticism, but an invitation to turn to Jesus for faith. And it doesn't have to be much. Jesus likens it to the shallow roots that come from just that tiny mustard seed. Having the the smallest amount of faith is sufficient to give rise to practices, to be free to choose actions that are even more extraordinary than those that Jesus just shared. This kind of faith 
is active, and it has the power to move the most deeply rooted or pervasive evil and even death. The word here in this verse 6 for mulberry in the Greek is sycamine. Sometimes it's translated as sycamore. It's quite likely of the species Morus nigra, not to be confused with the sycamore that we have here in the U.S. The Morris nigra is a kind of tree that was widely cultivated in Israel, and it would grow to about 50 feet with immovable and pervasive roots. This was a well-known tree. But here's the thing. The hardwood of this tree was used in a variety of ways, one of which was to make caskets. Jesus is saying, turn to me in faith. The smallest amount of faith is sufficient to move death. Planting it somewhere new where transformation is possible. That's what happens on Creator's good road. Yes, evil and death are unavoidable. Your birthright, though, as beloved in the kingdom of God, is to be liberated from all that binds you and all that keeps you and those around you from the fullness of belonging. To have the kind of faith that moves things. Your birthright is to be loved, transformed, free to join the work of justice and hospitality in the world. So, today, friends, hear Jesus whisper to you, Come, I'll walk with you through the darkness. Name it, release it. We can move death. You'll see. Have You can turn to the Prayer of the People and Lord's Table Liturgy. Scroll right along if you're using the e-bulletin. And join in the bolded parts as we prepare to come to the table this morning. The elements are gluten-free, not allergen-free, and you're welcome to partake of them here, listening to that sacred sound of peeling back the foil. Benevolent God, we come before you with continued heaviness as we move into not month, but year three of the pandemic. We lift our prayers alongside aching hearts across the world for all that we grieve and for the uncertainties that continue to plague our hearts and minds, we pray. For those around the world caught in warring, 
kidnappings, and deadly clashes. We lift prayers for those who continue to face the unimaginable and suffer much loss. Lord, we give thanks for women all over the globe who have come before us, who have used their skills and voices to show us a better way, giving of themselves for the good of the world. For our neighbors who are seen as a threat because of the color of their skin, are targets of police brutality, and remain in danger because of the ongoing silencing of their experiences. Lord, confront our biases and help us and repent of the racism that lives within each of us. Move us to action and heal our lives. For the elected officials in our local and federal government, may the Holy Spirit provide wisdom as they lead humbly with integrity and with the whole of creation's best interest in mind. We lift prayers for your kingdom, Lord, for all whom the sun touches, for all who breathe the air, for all whose hearts beat, for all the things of your creation. Through the darkness of these days, may we enflesh the love of Christ so that the world might experience your light. As we remember God's constant presence with us, we choose to respond, to lean in, to worship. As we remember God's persistence in offering grace to us and celebrate the joy of following Jesus, we speak of the mystery we know as faith. Christ died for all our sins. Christ was raised for all. Christ comes to lead us into God's presence. Lord, we ask that as we partake of the bread and the cup, your Holy Spirit bless these gifts and transform us, your gathered people, to faithfully love you and our neighbors with all our being. Let us commune at the table of the Lord. It is open for all who seek life with God. <laughs> 